Well, Job had a problem. And it's a, a very contemporary problem, as Ryan was explaining to us. It's a problem and a question that many people are asking um, today. Because the message of the book of Job and what happened to him is a timeless experience that sooner or later touches every single one of us. Uh, we, run, we run across things that um, seem to be unfair, unjust, and questions of why begin to, to come up within our hearts and minds. Um, we talk about the sovereignty of God and the, the love and compassion of God, and we look around and we see all the wickedness and the evil and the devastating things that are happening to people, and we wonder, how can that be? The alternative is to say, with the nature and character of people, and if we look deep inside ourselves at our own hearts, the miracle is that there's any good at all in this world. And that's an evidence of the grace and mercy of God. So we're all familiar with um, these questions that, we, that plague us sometimes. We see bad things happening to good people. And sometimes we experience some of those things uh, in our own hearts and lives. In the Middle Ages, there was a man by the name of St. John of the Cross. He wrote a real thick book uh, called The Dark Night of the Soul in which he wrestles with this problem of um, when he tries to come before God and it seems like he's getting no answer and no response and there's uh, no feelings involved, no emotions, and he's, he's struggling with the things that are happening to him. And he's saying it's at that point St. John discovered that God was closest to him and that he was learning the most. Um, it was a very difficult time, and it was not a comfortable time. And we all go through those kinds of things. And so Job, part of the problem for Job was that he was a righteous man. And this is a very old book. It's probably, some, uh, many scholars think that it's the oldest book in the Bible as far as the first one that was actually written down. It takes place in the the period of uh, the patriarchs, that would be around 2000 B.C. And the context of this book is not in Israel, but it's in Edom, in the land of Uz, which is um, a little south and east of modern-day Israel. And this man, in that time, uh, they didn't have the Bible, of course. The Old Testament hadn't been written. Commandments hadn't been given. None of that had taken place. This is, predates that by... Uh, several hundred years. And yet this man has a knowledge and awareness of God and he is living a life consistent with the nature and character of God. God himself, uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Job, um, says, Job is the most righteous man on the earth. And that's quite a testimony coming from God. Uh, you can have people think, you know, well, that's a good man or she's a good woman or something like that. But when God says this, this person is a righteous person, that's quite a, quite a testimony when you stop and think about it. And so Job kind of ranks up there with people like Enoch and people like Noah, uh, people who are righteous in their generation and live consistent life walking with the Lord. And yet here Job is, as Ryan said, uh, God had blessed him mightily. Um, he was rich, he was powerful, um, he had a large family that, um, that he cared very much for, 
And in one day, all of that was taken away. Suddenly, unexpectedly, without warning, without explanation, and Job did not understand why. Just this, this shock after shock after shock all on the same day. And if, I guess the closest thing we could come to would be um, in the Great Depression. When a man went to bed, he was a millionaire, and when he woke up, he couldn't even buy a newspaper. It happened that fast. And you put on that the death and destruction of his family all at the same time. That's what hit Job. And he did not understand. But it shows us the nature and character of the man because of the way that he responds. His first response, having all of that thing happen to him, was he got on his knees before God and worshipped. Worshipped. That was his first response. He was a righteous man. However, as time went by and the suffering didn't let up and the explanations were not forthcoming, he struggled. He struggled with himself and he struggled with God. Um, another day, uh, shortly after that, he was struck with an illness that covered him with running horrible sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. His whole body was covered with these things. And again, no explanation. He hadn't, as far as he knew, he hadn't done anything wrong. And uh, he just, he didn't understand what was happening. And so again, uh, he turns to God. But there aren't any answers coming. So eventually he had three friends who were also very wealthy, powerful, in influential men, men in the area. They came, heard about it, they came. And when they saw him, they didn't even recognize their friend. Uh, this disease, whatever it was, it so devastated him. They didn't even recognize him at first. And so uh, devastating was the effects on him and what had happened to him. When they saw their friend, all they could do was sit down next to him and not say a word for seven days. Um, just overcome at the intensity of the suffering that this man was experiencing. And um, after that, they begin to talk. And the rest of the book of Job is a conversation, a series of three cycles of conversations between these three men and Job. And they're trying to come to terms with um, what's happening here and why is it happening. And now these people represent the wisest of the wise of that day and age. And if you read through their arguments, um, these are very perceptive people. And they have a lot going for them in the arguments that they present. Uh, a lot of the basic philosophical arguments that we uh, pull out today are founded in this book. And even in secular universities, they study the book of Job because it's great literature. It's just a, a very well-written book. But the underlying thing here is what's going on between good and evil and what is God doing about it. The conventional wisdom of the day said, you reap what you sow, which is a biblical concept, right? You reap what you sow. And so their idea was, um, if you're healthy and you're respected in the community and things are going well for you, you must be doing something right. Uh, makes no difference if you're a thief or a cheat or a liar, but if things are going well for you outwardly, you must be doing something right. God is blessing you. And if you're going through adversity of any kind, it's because you or somebody else has done something wrong. So... Confess it, repent of it, change it, and your fortunes will change. 
Um, that's a very African viewpoint. Uh, in Africa, if something's gone wrong, they want to know what you did or what your ancestors had done to bring this on, and they're going to search until they find something. <laughs> Somebody did something wrong. Somebody messed up somewhere. And so that's the way these three friends were coming to Job, and they started going through his life and different things, and Job kept saying, no, wait a minute, I haven't done that. <laughs> I haven't done that. I've been trying to... to Follow God, and, and I, haven't, I haven't done those things. They said, oh, yeah, you've, you've got to have done it. You've got to have done something wrong for these, this much catastrophe, this quick, no explanation. It's a, a secret private sin. You've got to confess it. Job said, I'd confess it if I knew. And so those are the way things were going. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Job is that the reason that he was struggling so much was because he was a righteous man. And it was his own righteousness that gave him a faulty view and understanding of God. Because what he did was he began to look at himself and his own righteousness and say, okay, I've done nothing wrong and this is happening, so therefore I'm questioning the justice of God. God is being unfair with me. I'm not getting what I deserve. And as you read through the book, as you read through Job's arguments, what we find out is that Job's righteousness was all uh, based on works. It was all based on works. How he had lived, what he had done, how he treated people, and all of these are good things. They're all good things, aren't they? And yet he was, he was basing his relationship with God on his own goodness. I'm walking with God in this kind of a world and I expect that God ought to be pleased with that. <laughs> and so one of the questions that shows up uh, five times in this book, how can a man be righteous before God? A holy God. And they say, even the angels in their purity, stand before God, and they are not pure compared to him. How can man be righteous before God? And that's a good question. Because based on our own activity, based on Job's life, the answer is we can't. But Job is maintaining his integrity because he's being attacked by his close friends, saying you've, got, you've, you've sinned somewhere. And he's saying, no, wait a minute, I haven't. And what it boils down to is Job is saying more than all the suffering, more than all the afflictions, it's people's opinion of me that is really getting to me. I'm righteous man, yet I'm considered an unrighteous man by people around me, and that's not right. So he's on trial. He feels his integrity. And so he is matching his integrity against what he perceives to be the justice of God. And that's where he runs into trouble. And it's his own integrity, uh, his own righteousness, that he begins to look to instead of looking to God. And so what it boils down to is, in a sense, Job is saying, in this instance, the way God is treating me, I'm more righteous than God. Now, he never says that, but that's where he's going. 
Sometimes uh, we are like Job in the sense that we feel that God has to justify himself to us. I've prayed. I've done this thing. I'm not receiving the answer. God, why? So we're calling God to account. Asking God to answer us, which is exactly what Job was doing. God, you need to justify yourself for what's happened to me. And God's God. He doesn't have to justify himself to anybody. But this is where Job was through the suffering and the intensity of it. And it was taking place over a long period of time. And there was no, as far as he knew, there was no end in sight to this. And he was being attacked by those who knew him best, his closest friends. And Job just says, no, I wish God would let me appear to him and talk with him face to face. God, come. I will stand in your presence and maintain my integrity before you, God. This is what Job is saying to God. Now, as good Christians, we would never say that, right? But oftentimes, that's what we feel inside. And we're saying, God, why did this happen? I hadn't done anything wrong, and this happened to me, and that's not fair, and that's not right. Or like Ryan, um, this has happened to me, and Sam's the one who hit me, right? <laughs> and he seems to get away, and now it's my, I'm supposed to forgive him. And justice has not been served, Right? That's how we feel before God. And when we feel that way, we've placed ourselves in the position of Job. In a sense, making ourselves more righteous than God. I know better. So finally, after all this discussion that they go through, finally the men around him just give up because they could not convince Job. He was, he was so convinced of his own righteousness and his own integrity, their arguments didn't, make, didn't even make a dent. And so why argue with a person who's not listening to your arguments, who you're not going to convince? So they stopped. Well, there's a fourth guy, a younger one. He doesn't even show up till right at the end of the book. And uh, he's sitting here listening to all that. He's angry with the three friends because they condemned Job, but they could not answer Job's arguments. And yet they condemned him anyway. And they would give an argument and Job would respond and they didn't have an answer to that. And yet they still condemned him. And he was angry with Job because Job was justifying himself rather than God. And he has a lot of good things to say. But right at the end, God speaks and he begins to call uh, people to account. And... The whole crux of the book is in these six verses of Job 42. So God, God begins to speak to Job, and he doesn't condemn or accuse. He just asks him questions. <laughs> That's all he does. God is very gentle with Job. He just comes to Job, and he says, he says Job, you're talking about things you don't have any knowledge of at all. You're way out of your depth here. And you need to be quiet and listen. And so he just begins to ask Job about creation and about these different things. And the, the point of this is, Job, if you can't understand these things, how would you understand if I even told you? It's so far beyond you. Um, and there's a lot of things in life that happens that way. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10... 
This is one of the passages that's talking about um, the servant of the Lord. And he makes this strange statement at the end here in verse 10. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So here you have, you have a man or a woman who fears the Lord, obeys the word of the Lord, and yet they're walking in darkness and have no light. That's exactly the position that Job was in. He was a righteous man. He was walking to the best of his knowledge in the ways that were pleasing to the Lord. And yet this darkness was upon him and he didn't understand. And he was hurting and suffering. He was in sorrow and mourning, um, mourning the loss of his family, mourning the loss of his health, uh, mourning the loss of his integrity and his standing in the community and his wealth and his power, all, lost of all those things. And so he was going through this process of mourning and grieving over all of these things. And yet Isaiah says, when that happens, this is when we need to lean heavily upon the Lord, to trust him based upon what he has revealed to us of who he is and his presence and his mercy. So God appears and just speaks to Job, and this is Job's response in Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, God was asking Job, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Um, Job, you're talking about stuff you don't have any idea. And so Job confesses, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So earlier, um, God had, had spoken to him, and he says, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? asking Job if Job was going to correct God. Let him who accuses God answer him. And Job answered, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And so God begins to ask him, uh, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? which is what he was doing. So oftentimes when prayers aren't answered the way that we think they should or during the time period that we have set for God, we want God to justify himself to us. <laughs> I asked you, why didn't you answer me? Well, Scripture has a lot of reasons why God doesn't answer. Uh, most of it's for our benefit. <laughs> it's in God's timing. Uh, like Ryan didn't understand the answer he got from his dad, but it was the right answer. So Job acknowledges now, I spoke out of turn. I did not understand those things. I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. And that's not an isolated event uh, just for him. If we stop and we think about... Um, in the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 18, God was appearing in the form of um, his angel of his presence to a man named Manoah and his wife. He actually appeared to the wife first and then uh, to both of them. And they, 
he was telling them that they were going to have a son. They'd been childless, and God was going to do a miraculous thing for him, for them, his grace, and it was going to be the birth of his son who was going to be a deliverer. And as they were talking with this angel, the man didn't realize it was the angel of the presence of the Lord. And so um, he asked him his name. And the angel looks at him and he says, Why do you ask my name since it is wonderful? In other words, it's beyond you. It's full of mystery. It's full of wonder. You wouldn't comprehend it if I told you. Uh, that kind of a thing. What Albert Einstein was talking about earlier, the mystery and the wonder that makes life an adventure and gives life meaning and hope. So we see that God continues and says, uh, You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. This is what God was saying to Job. Job's response is this in verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So when God begins to speak to Job, Job's response is, I had a head knowledge of who you were. My ears have heard of you. And he was living uh, pretty consistently on what he perceived to be the nature and character of God. He was consistent with that. But what he found was that God was far greater than anything he had heard or imagined or hoped or dreamed, far beyond all of those things. And the presence of the Lord was such that it was beyond anything that Job had experienced before. And it's, it's important here. He says, I've heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. Because what took place here was a shift in his perspective. What took place was Job had all this time been looking at himself. My righteousness, my integrity, my suffering, my grief, my sorrow, my loss, my righteousness, my good deeds, my, my, my... And he's looking at himself and he's judging everything and everybody, including God, based on his own self. Now, he says, my ears have heard of you. Now, my eyes are off of myself and I'm looking to you and I think, oh no. Oh, no. Because when we see God for who He is, only then can we see ourselves for who we are, truly, in the presence of a righteous, holy God. And when Job finally got the picture, as he's looking to God and not himself, he was devastated. He was broken. And he was humbled. And then he began to have an accurate picture of the nature, the character, the mercy of God. And he began to experience it for himself. So Job had been looking at himself, not God, viewing everything as it relates to self. And that's a very contemporary, modern deal, isn't it? Our whole culture teaches us, pushes us, molds us into that way of thinking. Everything's about me. So um, problems in homes and families and marriages, what do you hear? Me, mine. He doesn't do this for me. She did this and it's not right because that's not what I wanted. And 
And it's all about self, isn't it? All about self. They didn't treat me right. That guy cut in front of me on the highway. In front of me. <laughs> as, if it, as if, you know, who cares? <laughs> this is one of the problems I have with Facebook and all that stuff. Oh, pardon me if I step on toes. You know, I, I don't ever look at that stuff, but I hear other people talking about it. And some guys over here talking about, well, I had soup for lunch today. And I'm thinking, who cares? <laughs> Why does people want to know that? <laughs> what difference does it make? I don't care what you had for lunch. <laughs> well, I'm bored today, so I'm sitting here and I'm kind of trying to see if there's something here I can do. Get a life. If you're bored, get up and do something. <laughs> but it's all about me, you know. And I want everybody to know how what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're thinking and how you're acting, how it, if it, how it affects me here, you know. I don't care how it affects you, but I'm very, very concerned how it affects me. And this is where Job was. I'm a righteous man. Don't you see my righteousness? And don't you, shouldn't you respect and honor and reverence me because I'm such a, a, a great righteous man? Well, no. <laughs> righteous compared to who? So you remember the old uh, country and western song. Everybody needs somebody to look down on. If you can't find somebody, help yourself to me. <laughs> uh, that's right up there with, uh, you done stomped on my heart and matched that sucker flat. <laughs> so, but all of that's about self here, right? This is what you've done to me. And we can all find somebody worse off than ourselves that makes us look good. And we justify ourselves based on those things. Well, Job was looking at himself, not God. And at this point, when Job is making his confession here, he's acknowledging his limited knowledge and that God is far beyond himself or anything he could imagine or understand. And he had spoken of things he didn't understand, things far beyond him. But now he began to see himself for who he was. Now, this is very consistent throughout Scripture. Isaiah, a righteous man, a prophet of God, a spokesman for God, and then he walks into the temple one day and he has a vision of who God is. And before the first five chapters, it's woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. But after chapter 6, it's woe is me. I am undone. Um, Peter understands that Jesus is a great teacher and... Um, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has asked Peter to, because people were crowding around and all these sick people with diseases and stuff were, were pushing and shoving, trying to get close to Jesus to touch him so that they could be healed. And they were just overwhelming him and they were pushing him back into the sea of Galilee. So he saw these fishermen there and he asked if they could borrow their boat so he could stand on the boat and talk to these people without getting mobbed and run over. And so Peter consented. And then Jesus said, well... Uh, you guys, um, you fished and worked all night at your job. Did you come up with anything? And they said, no, we didn't get anything. And he said, well, launch out over here and throw your net and you'll get a load of fish. And he said, ah, it's the wrong time of day to fish. We hadn't caught anything all night. Out of respect for you because you asked me to do it, I'll do what you say. Not, you know, just more work. That's all right. Throws his net out and all of a sudden he's got this huge, huge thing of fish 
um, begins to sink his boat. He calls for his partners, James and John. They come. They fill their boats. These are wealthy men now because that's their business, selling fish. Peter's response was he goes to Jesus in his boat and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And so Peter realizes who he is when he sees and understands who Jesus is. And Jesus said, that's all right. I can change you. And now on you're going to be catching men and not fish. You need to come follow me. And he walked away from his whole life and followed him. So when we see the vision of God, we realize who we are and the call that he has. So Job, trusting in his righteousness, and he he discovers that his righteousness is a works-related righteousness. And he's asking Job if he's going to condemn God in order to make himself righteous or appear righteous. And the reason his friends had stopped asking him or talking to him was because uh, he was righteous in his own eyes. So I want us to look what should have happened then. What should have been the response? And I want us to look just briefly here, just in closing. You have all these things, and we're talking about innocent people suffering and not understanding why. And the book of Job never gives an answer why. God never justifies himself to Job. And he won't justify himself to you or me either. Uh, He's God. When we see him for who he is, We see ourselves for who we are. And then the only thing that we can be amazed at is God's mercy and grace and allowing us to approach him at all. So what about uh, Jesus? Now here you have a righteous man, truly righteous. Never sin, thought, word, or deed. He's God in the flesh. He is an innocent man. The only innocent man that ever lived apart from Adam and Eve before they sinned in the garden. And here Jesus is taking all the sins of all the world upon himself. That's quite a load. If he just had mine, he'd have a heavy load. But he's got all of us, you know. All of us, of all the world. You think about the Hitlers and the Stalins and the mass murderers and the rapists and all the other abusers and the oppressors and all of that of all the world placed upon him. And on the cross, Jesus is crying out in the same spirit that Job was. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he understands what Job experienced. Except Jesus was a, a, it was a legitimate question on him. And as he's, that's one of the last things that he said from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then just before he died, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus took that as a call to trust and faith. So we're familiar with the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths it's good advice 
good advice for us as Christians to hear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because God's ways, he tells us over and over again, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. As high as the heavens are from the earth, my ways and my thoughts are greater than yours. And Paul tells us in Corinthians, the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard. It's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And the only way that we ever understand any of that is because God chooses to reveal it to us and work that in us. He does that because he loves us and he's a God of grace and mercy. When the questions come and we don't have answers, um, look beyond the question to the God who's standing there. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's going to let us know, he's going to tell us twice. First in verse 9 he says, we know in part. And then in verse 12 he says, look, now we see in a mirror dimly, and now I know in part. I don't know the whole thing. And I, my vision of what's happening and why is a little, it's a little blurry here, you know. It's a, a, a dim mirror that I can't see, a dim reflection of what's happening, and I don't understand it, and I don't know. And the point is, we don't need to know. Uh, Paul had it right when he wrote Timothy, I know whom I have believed. I know the one that I'm trusting. And I trust that he is able to keep whatever I've given unto him against that day. And if I've really given it to him, then I've given it to him. So let me give you an example. Yeah, Norma Jean, I'm going to give you these keys. Oh, oh. Come on, Norma Jean. No. Oftentimes, this is how we give things to God. Well, God, I'm going to give this up for you, you know. Go ahead, God, I'm giving this up to you. No. And then we take it back, you know. And so, <laughs> there's only two kinds of people, the quick and the without. <laughs> so, so, oftentimes when we come before God, this is my sin, God, I'm going to give up. I surrender my sin to you. And then when God's about to take it, I love that sin. It's got a hold on me. Take it. Not right now. Just one more time. So the only way we can truly give, give things to God is hands down. I'm released. Now I'm free. And so Job had been coming to God with these questions and these fears. And he's hanging on to it, his own righteousness. And God is saying, until you let go of that, until you let go of your righteousness and trust me, you're going to be bound and you're going to be a slave forever. And the Son came to set us free. And if he sets us free, we are really and truly free. But we have to give things to him hands down and not grab them back at the last minute. And so the Lord invites us. He told us very clearly at the very beginning in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Because God is God, there's going to be things that we don't understand. If we understood it all, then he wouldn't be God, or much of one, would he? He's got to be greater than us if he's God at all. 
And so this is what God was bringing Job to understand. It's not about you. It's not about your righteousness. It's about who God is. And if we know who God is, then we can trust him even with the unanswered questions and the things that we don't understand. If we know him and understand him, if we have a personal relationship with him, then the questions don't seem to be too important anymore. And that's what Job found. Once I understood, once I see you, I get my eyes off of myself and onto God. Things Paul fall into perspective, and these things that I thought were so, so important, dust and ashes. Dust and ashes. And so God invites us to know him. Um, and God blessed Job at the end of his life. But before he was healed, God tells Job, your three friends here, uh, you need to pray for them. Now, Job hadn't been healed yet. So, Ryan, you have to forgive Sam. <laughs> First step. Uh, you need to pray for them. Job prayed for his three friends, and then God says, okay, now I'll deal with you. And he brought healing and restoration and vindication. God is our vindication, and so we just need to trust him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that in such a complex world in which we live, with so many questions that plague our minds, that we can find peace and rest in your presence. Doesn't mean all the questions are, are answered, doesn't mean all the doubts are done away with, but it means that we know you and your peace that passes understanding, that the world can't give and the world can't take away, keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, for the promise that you've given. You will keep in perfect peace person whose mind is stayed on you. And we pray that we would take that to heart in Jesus' name. Amen.